there's a danger that we sometimes pigeonhole people, uh, particularly perhaps Christians. We look at some and we might say, well, I'm not sure that they're really uh, on board, as it were. We might call them worldly Christians. They seem to live just as the world does during the week, but they happen to turn up some Sundays. Then perhaps what we might call ordinary Christians, if there is such a person, and we might say, well, they do their best, they come along to the meetings. And then we might say, well, they're super Christians. Those are the ones that turn up for everything, and, you know, if you ask for a volunteer, they'll be there, and they, they will do absolutely whatever the Lord requires. You may want to pigeonhole yourself in there, or perhaps uh, you might find your own pigeonhole. The point I want to make this evening is that every Christian is called to be the super Christian. Every Christian is called to be out and out for the Lord. We ought not to look at other Christians and say, oh, well, that's, that's for them. They always kind of put their hand up first or whatever it is. We are all called to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all called to have hearts on fire for him. And in one sense, if our hearts are right with God, our feet will follow whether it be to these meetings or whether it be to the prayer meeting or whatever the need might be. If the heart is right, the feet will follow. Sometimes we think, well, you know, particularly perhaps in years past, uh, there, there would be uh, some kind of move to make Christians do a certain thing. And maybe they did it, but they did it because they were made to do it. It's, if the matter is right in the heart, then it will be done quite willingly. And to be the man of God, to be the woman of God is something very practical. It isn't something that's kind of just pie in the sky, as it were. It's not something unobtainable, unless we make it so. And this is what Paul was saying to the Christians at Ephesus. And he's writing from his prison cell. And he writes in this chapter 3, in verse 19, and this is a, a part of his prayer that he's praying for them, that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's an amazing prayer. It's an amazing statement that it is possible for a Christian to be filled with the fullness of God. Now earlier in this chapter, he's told them of the mystery or the secret that was really uh, hidden in the Old Testament times that it wasn't just uh, for the Jews that the gospel was coming. It wasn't just for the Jews that Christ died, but Gentiles were to be a part of that. They were to be, in verse 6, The Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of the same promise in Christ by the gospel. And that was quite an earth-shattering thing to Jewish people because they'd been the nation. They'd been the nation who were to uh, look after the oracles of God. They were the people to show what it was for a nation to live under the authority of God. Of course, we know they failed many times, and by the time Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, uh, things were in a very strange situation. And so we find, as Paul writes here, and he has done in other places too, as he's writing, he kind of bursts out in prayer. And that's what he does here. And uh, as we went down the chapter, we find when we get to uh, verse 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees, I pray unto the Father, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And then he begins to pray for them, that he would grant unto them the riches of his glory that they might be strengthened, strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith, being rooted and grounded in love, that they may be able to comprehend and understand with all the saints 
What is the breadth, the length, the depth and the height? To know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, and that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's an amazing prayer, isn't it? Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones refers to these verses as climbing a mountain. Spurgeon calls it climbing a ladder. Uh, I prefer mountains to ladders. I can't stand heights and mountains don't seem quite uh, so bad as that, do they? Either way, it's a climb. And it's a climb I'd like us to take tonight. Um, If you've ever climbed a mountain, um, and I'm not talking about ones where you need ropes and all the other things, I'm just talking about a gentle walk. Uh, If you've ever climbed a mountain, you know when you get to the top, you realise... It isn't the top. Uh, there's a bit further to go. And uh, when you climb that bit further, you find there's yet another slope. And this prayer's a bit like that. You think, well, that's a wonderful thing to pray for. Paul prayed that, and, and we ought to be praying it for one another, and we ought to be praying it for ourselves. And when we get there, we, oh, hang on, there's a bit more to go. And I think these verses 16 to 19 must be a strong contender for one of the greatest prayers in Scripture. Um, save for perhaps John 17 where we have the Lord praying there now you can probably divide this uh, these few verses up differently but I've divided them up into four we've got four rungs as it were to our ladder and I think you know if the Lord was to answer this prayer what if everyone here was filled with all the fullness of God it'd be amazing wouldn't it Uh, what would happen in our communities so let's, let's begin this climb then this evening for a little while. The first one, verse 16, the first rung is that we are to be strengthened, that, ye, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Do you ever feel God strengthening you? Well, that's a challenge, isn't it? Because that's what the verse is saying. We say, well, the Lord helps me, the Lord loves me, and I feel him near me. Do you ever actually know that he is strengthening you? for whatever task you're doing. I've been cutting a few hedges lately, and they're rather high, you have to get a pair of steps out or something to climb up. And you only need to climb up a few steps, and you climb down again, you move it and climb up again. And time you finish, your legs, well, your might not, but my legs ache. Uh, but just climbing a few steps. But if you do that, day after day, you'll soon find you'll be able to do that, because those muscles have been strengthened. And so it is here, when we are strengthened for the things of God, then we're ready to move on, as it were, to climb higher in the things of God. I read a while back of some Polish students, I think they were, they set off to climb a mountain in the Alps. They had no training, they wore summer clothes, and that was it. They had to be lifted off the mountain on the very first night. They were not equipped And they were not strengthened. They couldn't cope with that situation. They were not strong enough for the climb. And that's why this is the first part of Paul's prayer. Don't forget, he didn't just make this up. This is God the Holy Spirit moving upon him, penning this down to the church at Ephesus in order that it might be read by the Christians at Ephesus, by the surrounding Christians, and then by Christians down through the ages, even to us tonight. So Paul, by the Holy Spirit, puts this prayer for strength first. Spiritual strength, strength in our, in our body, but he says this is the inner man. This is our spiritual being. And in one sense, we may be rather frail. Uh, some of us are getting a bit older and various issues come along uh, physically. But we can be stronger spiritually. We should never give up trying to be stronger in the things of God. 2 Corinthians 4, it says, Though our outward man or woman perish, 
that is, it decays, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. And that's encouragement, isn't it? When you get up and you feel, oh, it's another day, I feel a bit weary today. Hey, my inner man's been strengthened. So why do we need to be strong in the inner man? Because we have a natural tendency to be weak. I have a natural tendency to stay on the sofa rather than get up and do something. And yet your mind says, no, you ought to be doing this, that and the other. And spiritually, we have a tendency to be weak. Even though we've been born again of the Spirit of God, there is often that side of us that, that uh, makes us weak. We, have a, we need a strong spiritual immune system. You know, physically, if you, your immune system is low, something fairly modest comes along and, and you're hit with it. That's why with COVID, people that have had various uh, ailments, etc., need particular protection because the immune system is low. And so it is as Christians, we need to build up the inner man, build up the immune system, that when something comes along that upsets us, we can cope with it. When something comes along in a sense of affliction, that we can manage it. We also need to be strong because the devil likes to pick off the weak ones. You see some of these nature programs and you see a herd of buffalo or deer or something wandering about, and then you see the lions, and they're looking for the ones on the edge. They're looking for those that are limping. They're looking for the weak ones. The devil does that. He'd be very happy to pick us off. Oh, you say, but if we're a Christian, we'll always be a Christian. That is true. But if the devil can pick us off, he'll make us useless. We'd still be saved by grace, but we won't be any use to the Lord. We need to be strong. We need strength to climb... For the things of God, for the battle, a soldier, and uh, we've spent time on this in, in, in years past, a soldier needs to be strong. They, they go through a lot of exercise, and so it is spiritually we need to be strong in order that we may fight uh, the enemy that we have. And then another reason we need to be strong is because the prize of the fullness of God is so great that, that the very... Uh, leaving aside all I've said, to know that it is possible, to know the fullness of God should be sufficient to say, I need to be strong in the inner man. You say, well, that's all right, but how does this happen? Yeah, it is a work of the Spirit of God. How does he do it? Usually through his own word, as we read the word, as we pray over it, as we endeavour to live a holy life. These things all fit together of our sanctification. We, we take the milk of the word, we take the meat of the word in order that we may grow. Notice he says there in this verse that we would grant that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. God doesn't give us of his spirit and of his word in, in, a, in a feeble way. He doesn't lend us these things. It says according to his riches in glory. Uh, and he gives of his riches uh, and they're not diminished. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Uh, there's a hymn that we could have sung. And very familiar to most of us there. He gives more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labours increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's forgiving, forgiving as only Begun. He gives us according to his riches. And uh, if I give you according to my riches, you wouldn't get an awful lot. But whatever I give you, I've lessened in my riches. If I give you £100, I'm £100 worse off. 
not with the Lord. He, he gives out of his abundance and his abundance is still there. So let's pray that we might be strengthened with might by his spirit. So we move up a rung. Secondly, that Christ may live in our hearts. Back to the verses at uh, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, you being rooted and grounded in love. We might say, well, why would Paul want to pray that Christ might dwell in their hearts? They were Christians, and we we use that as a phrase, that, that the Lord lives within us. They already knew that. Well, first of all, this verse is written as a reason for the earlier one. We're to be strong in our hearts, uh, we're to be strong in the Lord, that Christ might dwell in our hearts in the sense that he's written here. Paul is not writing about salvation. He's writing about holiness. He's writing about sanctification. And he uses particular words. He says that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And that word dwell means to be at home. To be at home. In other words, he... Our lives need to be strengthened by the Spirit of God that Christ may be at home within us. That our our lives, our hearts may be fit for him. Perhaps you go into someone's house and you you look around while you're there and uh, you might find, uh, well, it's a nice house, but I'm not sure I feel at home here. Uh, And it could be for for all sorts of reasons. Uh, You may go into someone's house and find things that are offensive. You'll hear language and conversation that is ungodly. And you did not feel at home there. You were glad to get out. There were places you you went to visit, but you wouldn't feel at home there. Now that is how Paul is writing. That our hearts and lives should be where Christ is at home. Somewhere where things are not done just out of mere duty. Or so unclean that he's not welcome there. But rather clean and pure. Busy in his service. You know, sometimes we say, well, people come to our house, it's not spotless, but you can see it's being lived in. And, and that's the sort of thing that Christ is looking for. A heart that's lived in, that we work, we labour, we do stuff. A welcome dwelling. You may remember Abraham and Sarah had two angelic visitors. And they immediately made preparations to entertain them in the best way possible. And that's always good, isn't it? Whenever we're entertaining, to do the best possible. Remember, this may be the Lord. Others says you may be entertaining angels unawares. But they got the best food out. And it, when it becomes clear, in fact, that they are actually entertaining the Lord himself. And the Lord is happy to dwell with them for a while. But a little later, when the Lord tells Lot, who is a believer, to flee from Sodom, the Lord doesn't visit him, but he sends angels to visit The Lord didn't feel at home in Lot's house. My friends, does God feel at home in your life? It's a challenge, isn't it? Let's climb a little higher. That we may know the love of Christ. Verse 17, then, you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend or understand with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Being made strong inwardly by his spirit leads to Christ being at home within our hearts, which leads to a knowledge and experience of Christ's love that is incomprehensible. You know, if someone comes into your home, they're at home with you, you're at home with them, you begin to converse, you have fellowship, you begin to learn, you know more about them. Friendships are strengthened. And when the Lord is at home within our lives, so our fellowship is strengthened. We have a greater relationship with him. 
And this is Christ's love, not only known to us, but, but felt. We become rooted and grounded in his love, as it says in the verse here. That's Paul's prayer for them. Again, it should be our prayer also. Elsewhere we read, I think Paul's writing to the church at Rome, and he speaks there about the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Because the love of God is within us, then it overflows from time to time. I think it was Spurgeon who referred to the fact that you know, sometimes when, it, when you get a thunderstorm and the gutters can't contain all the water, it spills over. And that's the phraseology Paul uses, that the love of God might be shed abroad, it might spill over. Such is his love within us, that we're enabled to love others. You know, this should become the character of every Christian, isn't it? That we might be living examples of the love of Christ. Paul talks here about the, the breadth, the length, the depth and height. And in some ways he's saying, comprehend the incomprehensible. Understand something that can't be fully understood. Oh, and I think we begin to understand what he's saying. Is it possible to know the full length and breadth and depth and height of the love of God? And we might say, well, no, I don't think we can take the, understand it fully. We'll understand it more fully when we get to glory, but we're to understand a good measure of it because that's what he sets down here. All he's saying is that we perhaps can't get to the fullness of that particular measure. And yet, in the way that the Spirit has it written here, he's saying that if we're rooted and grounded in his love, we should know, or at least begin to know, something of the extent of his love for us. And to understand it more, that his love, if you like, is long enough it comes from eternity past. We touched on that this morning. And it goes to an eternity future. And in eternity past, he loved us and determined to send his only begotten son for us. And he tells us of his love in the future. But we spoke this morning about the, the joy that Christ had, even in the, the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross. There was a joy because one day you and I were going to get into heaven. And so his, his love in that way is explained in scripture from eternity past to eternity future. His love is broad enough, as he sets out in this chapter, for Jew and Gentile, whatever nationality we might be. His love is deep enough for the biggest sinner. He's able to save to the uttermost. One has said, isn't it, from the uttermost to the guttermost. Whatever sin we might have committed, whatever state we think of ourselves in, his love is deep enough for the biggest sinner. That, that you can come with that verse that we sung this morning, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to his cross and we can bear it no more. And his love is high enough, isn't it? As it says, to bless us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Elsewhere it says, we are in fact seated in heavenly places. We are, as it were, in the mind of, of God, we are in heaven, seated in Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. And what Paul is speaking about here is that uh, flow of Christian love, the agape love, the unconditional love that, if you like, is controlled by our will. And we have a measure of that. And if we're honest, there are some people we love more than others, even spiritually. And there may be reasons for that, reasons we can't always help. Some people are more lovable, aren't they, than others. One has correctly said that when love is strained between fellow workers, brother or sisters or between any others, it's never a matter of incompatibility or personality. It's always a matter of sin. There's some truth in that, isn't there? Sometimes we say when Christians part 
not talking about doctrinal differences, but people saying, well, we're incompatible with that brother or that sister. That's very correct. There's always sin lurking there somewhere. We mustn't also read these verses, and maybe we have many times, and think, well, that's nice, isn't it? That'll happen automatically. I'm a Christian. And uh, we have to uh, just think about that. No, we have to work at these things. We have to pray about these things. We have to understand them and actively put them into action. There's nothing automatic here. If we do nothing, nothing happens. And if we do nothing, it's probably an indication the Spirit of God is not working within us. These things reflect what's going on spiritually in the inner man. I suppose there are many words in Scripture to help us understand the love of God, and obviously each one of these headings is is a subject in itself. But as one put it, sometimes it's better felt than told. If we know the nearness of the Lord, it's very difficult perhaps to describe that. I don't normally quote people who are not Christians, but some of you will be familiar with Louis Armstrong, who was once tried to ask to explain jazz. And he said, man, if if I've got to explain it, you ain't got it. And I think that's a bit like that spiritually. We've got to explain that much, then you ain't got it. Um, but I think you know what I'm trying to say there. So let's climb that. We've got one more rung to go, haven't we? And that's the final rung here, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. As I said earlier, I think it's one of the most wonderful statements in Scripture. Not that we want to put some words ahead of others, but do you understand what I mean? I guess we've all put something heavy in a box, and when you've lifted the box, the bottom's fallen out, because what you put in there was so heavy. It needed to be stronger. And my friends, that's why he starts off and says we need to be strengthened, because that which is coming on the fourth rung is heavy, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Unless we're strengthened, unless we know that Christ is at home within our hearts, unless we know an extent of his love, then we will know something of the fullness of God. So what does that mean? It's kind of a vague statement if if we don't go into it carefully. If we're to begin to grasp the greatness of the fullness of God, yes, we begin to think of him and who he is. We think of his power. We, We think of his majesty, his wisdom, his love, his mercy, and everything that belongs to God. But it actually affects us, doesn't it? To know the fullness of God means it affects our thinking. And that our thinking is dominated by God. That when we go somewhere, when we do something, you know, a lot of Christians today kind of do whatever they want to do within reason, perhaps within morality, uh, but it, it's more than that. It's everything we do should be guided by him. You see, in 2 Corinthians we read, Paul writes there to Christians, says, we have the mind of Christ. Now, that's a, that's a high statement, isn't it? We will only have the mind of Christ if we know something of the fullness of God, if we have been strengthened, if, if the Lord is at home within our hearts. Otherwise, we'll have a mind of our own. Our minds need to be transformed. The minds in the word of Scripture need to be renewed. We're to think spiritually about the natural things around us, where we go, what we do, the appointments we make, and, and how we conduct our lives. And then as our emotions, they're to be under his control. When the love of God comes in, one has said self goes out. And sometimes people are too full of self. And we have to look to ourselves for this, don't we? 
Our emotions are to be under his control. We don't lose our temper. We don't do the things that, that the world would do. We have them under control because we know something of the fullness of God, and that is an indication that we have that. Our aims and our, our desires are to be spiritual. I don't mean that uh, we only think of spiritual things. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that every desire that we have should be seen through spiritual eyes. That everything we, we do and think should have a, a, a stamp of eternity about it. How will this look when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back? It's not what I want to do today. It's what does the Lord want me to do today? A literal translation of that phrase, the fullness of God, would be that we might be filled up to all the fullness of God. You can see why they phrase it differently, because it's kind of the grammar of the matter. That we might be filled up with all the fullness of God. You know, sometimes we, uh, we might say, do you see that person down the street? They were, they were full of rage. You could see it in their eyes, their, their red face and even their hands. They were just full of rage totally dominated by the hatred of the moment. And that's it. We're meant to be dominated by God. We're we're meant to be a people that is filled with the love of God. It's not simply a little of me and a lot of God. It's to be none of me and all of God. What a God we have that he longs to want us to know all his fullness. That's amazing. You think God say, well, I'll keep them happy or I'm going to see them through to glory. No, he says, you can know all my fullness. I read a testimony of a man who, uh, it was a testimony given at a rally, I think, in America, about this man, and he was giving his testimony. He said, I got off a train at Pennsylvania, and he was a tramp. And he'd been a tramp for many years. And uh, he, he lived in Pennsylvania then for a year, and he used to beg on the streets, he says, one day I touched a man on the shoulder. I said, hey, mister, can you give me a dime? And as soon as I saw his face, I was shocked to see it was my father. His father had been looking for him for 18 years. He said, you want a dime? He said, everything I've got is yours. The man in his testimony said, I've been begging and asking for a dime when for 18 years my father had been looking to give me everything. My friends, that's... That's God's goal. Not that Christians should be begging, but he's waiting to give us everything. Everything. To make us like Jesus Christ in that sense by filling us with himself, with all that he is and all that he has. To him sometimes we sing, perhaps on a Tuesday more, that starts with the words, doesn't it? My goal is God himself. My goal is God himself then we shall know something of the fullness he writes about here. So then, four rungs. First of all, to be strengthened. And then that Christ may live in our hearts, dwell there, be at home there. That we might know the love of Christ. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. So a little bit of closing application. My friends, let's exercise to be strong. I never won much for the gymnasium. I never much uh, for that bodily strength. But we are to be strong in the Lord. Let's ensure that the Lord will live in a house like mine. It used to be a television programme and they used to say, who would live in a house like this? And you can think of that in your life. Who would live in a house like yours? Would the Lord be at home there? Sometimes we need to tidy up. I know when we have people come, we have to tidy up. 
preacher's coming, depends how tall he is, how high we dust. <laughs> you see, you tidy up, you make preparation. My friends, the Lord is to live within our lives. Make sure there's nothing offensive there. Make sure things that will please him. I've heard of some people that according to who's, who, who's coming from the family, they'll put some of the pictures away and get some of the others out. <laughs> pictures of them, you see. Because that will please them. And that's it. We shouldn't have anything to put away in that sense, but evil to put away, sin to put away, things that will please the Lord. And then secondly, that we might know more of his love, more of the length, breadth, depth and height, that it might be shed abroad in our hearts, that it might flow out like the full gutter, that I might not only talk it, but I might walk it also. And then that we might have the desire for this prayer, that we might take this prayer in our quiet time, say, Lord, this, this is a prayer I want to pray for me. And I want to pray it for my brothers and sisters too. Because I love them and I want them to, to know this. And I want the church to know it. I want the church to know the fullness of God. Having learnt of the riches of his father, this tramp would have been a fool to carry on begging, wouldn't he? He wouldn't say, it's all right, Dad, I know you want to give me everything, but I prefer to beg. That would be crazy. My friends, let's walk close to him and know the fullness of all that he has. And that involves work, doesn't it? It involves a prayer. It involves fellowship putting ourselves out for others, fully functioning within the local church, even coming along to a prayer meeting to support one another. We know we pray for one another at home, but it's good to come together to pray. And then finally tonight, do you know the love of God in Christ? Not only those of us here, but people who are listening online. Maybe you're still in an unsaved state, therefore you are without strength. You're without spiritual life. And the Bible says you are without hope. In the world. Well, that's the marvel of this message, isn't it? That Christ Jesus came into the world to give strength, to give hope. He came into the world. That's why he bled and died that we heard of this morning. That you might know him dwelling in your heart. You know the Saviour drawing in our hearts today. If we feel that weight of sin, then we come to him in faith, in repentance and faith. We seek him and we have the promise that those that seek shall find. So may we be a people that uh, will know strength by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that we might be rooted and grounded in love, that we might be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, and that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.